This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Sarah, joining me as my co-host, as always, well, not always, but most of the time, Justin Spiro, who walked into the studio looking like he's wearing his father's oversized exercise outfit, so I made a comment, and I find out that Spiro purchased this beautiful tracksuit from one Denzel Valentine the other day at Somerset Mall. Yeah. We had a good interaction, nice guy, and I look very good in his threads. How did you contact him to purchase his used clothing? The beauty of Twitter. I asked him to to follow me a long time ago, and he did. And I said, hey, you know, I know you can't do anything while you're still an active student athlete, but whenever you're done and eligibility's up, let's talk. And uh, he jumped right on it. So what did you buy? I bought a game worn jersey. Steady sign for me. Nice guy. Um, nice guy. I'm sure there was a charge involved. And uh, well, I didn't make him uh, sign it as part of the deal. Yeah. He just offered because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he's, he's that kind of a guy. Yeah. And a uh, couple, um, couple zip ups, things of that nature, things that were kind of team issue only is the stuff I wanted. I mean, he was offering me stuff that I literally have like copies of because it's stuff they they get and the public can buy, but. I just wanted some team-only issue stuff. I actually have this section, the most interesting piece, other than the, maybe the game-worn jersey. I have his practice jersey from the week leading up to the loss to Middle Tennessee State, which actually you can see it in photos from the Freep and news as practices, like wearing the jersey. But So maybe I should you know, burn that. Was there a downgrade in the, in the value of the stuff once the uh, loss to Middle Tennessee State and he cried on national television? Uh, not to me. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, if he had won a national title, that would be different. But um, mm-hmm. Betwe- mm-hmm. anything between losing in the first round and winning the national title is, you know. 
Same difference. So how much did you spend on all this stuff? I don't know. It's just a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> My fucking ass. Everything with Spear was always a few hundred bucks. Yeah, I bought a nuclear weapon from North Korea. How much did that cost? Oh, yeah, 500 like how much are you going to bet on Michigan State to uh, win the national title that you're sending to Vegas and you've got to go drive that money? Oh, just five hundred. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's asking people what the maximum bet Vegas will take, and then I ask him how much he's wagering. Oh, five hundred. I guess you were just asking about the maximum wager for your own personal knowledge. It, it had nothing of, to do with what the wager was going to take. Just out of curiosity. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure anyone. So now that you know Michigan State fans listening in the audience, and I have a feeling there's probably an inordinate amount of them today based on what the topic's going to be for the first uh, half of the program. You want some game-worn jerseys and track suits worn by Denzel Valentine. You got $200 in the bank, <laughs> which everyone, which is everyone I know in the world, except, except Jasper. for Jasper Apollonia, <laughs> for Jasper. who, by the way, had $110 to his name and donated $20 to a horse racing six-race parlay the other day. Uh, Jasper might be worse than m- m- with money than me, which is saying something. But, uh, okay, we don't have a lot of time today because we've got a lot of crap to talk about. This is probably the most action-packed show we've ever had. Uh, you've got, that we're going to get to probably in the second segment, some interesting inside information about the Red Wings and Jeff Blashill uh, that you've learned over the last couple days. Uh, we're going to talk about... The debacle known as bringing out Gordie Howe last night at uh, the Joe Louis Arena. We've got some audio, absolute hilarious audio of Terry Foster. There's something to discuss with Scott Anderson and Doug Karsh, a topic that they had on their show last week that was actually sports-related. But first, we've got to start with the breaking news from earlier this morning. I didn't think we were ever going to revisit uh, the Drew Sharp plagiarism stuff ever again on this show as Jessica fixes uh, Justin's limp mic over there. Well, I yeah, talk. you can't touch that part. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Don't be mean. Uh, <laughs> I won't. Anyway, we were gonna, we, I didn't think we would ever discuss it again. And then while I was at a house fire uh, trying to do an inventory of all the total loss contents over just a couple miles from here in Huntington Woods, I see a tweet from a DSR contributor, a retweet of an article that David Harms wrote today about the ongoing scandal and his involvement with Drew Sharp. Maybe, maybe you can, uh, Justin, touch on it a little. What uh, what that was all about, and give us a synopsis. As you know, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows the story, but just kind of give a summary of what that was all about. You want a summary of what the interview is about today? No, no. What the, his article on the? Oh, uh, oh, yeah. just the Harns article. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you can back up a little, but not it, too much. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go through the the entire article because it's it's long, extensive, and it covers so many bases. I don't know if we can get them all today as it is, but basically, Dave Harns has stepped up finally, and has come forward and said that Drew Sharp's quote unquote apology, if you could even call it that, was inadequate. His overall action in handling these matters has been wholly inadequate. And he's asking for more, not just for himself, but for the public and for Miranda McCoy. Uh, it's something that I think we we all needed to happen a long time ago. I think it would have been a lot more effective a long time ago. But basically, Dave Harns has said, Drew Sharp 
He is calling for Drew Sharp publicly to apologize to the readers and to himself and the Miranda McCoy. So it's really is a call to action at this point, as well as an explanation of why Dave Harnes didn't do this earlier. So in a way, it was an apology of his own. Yeah, there's about 20 layers to this story that we could get into, and I really don't even know where to start because there's just so many. It's all over the place. It's it's really all over the place. But I, I guess the first place I would start is that I tweeted out after reading the article, and I read it real quick. As I as you know, as I said, I was working at the time in a uh, burned out house, so it wasn't that easy to process everything. But I read it real quick, and I tweeted out that I was proud of what he did. Better late than never, and then I, uh, you know, provided the link so everyone could read it. I've read the article now probably four or five times, and while I'm, st- well, and I'm still happy that he did it because he really called out Sharp in this article, um, mentioned that he would do interviews with people about the topic. Uh, you asked him to come on today. He said tonight was not a good night. I don't think any night will be a good night until I die, and then maybe you can have him in studio one on one. Which, since I'm flying tomorrow, that could be tomorrow. Is you know, I think there's a 75 percent chance in my mind. Every time I get on a plane, I'm going to die in a crash. So maybe next week you can have him on next Tuesday. But breaking down the article, the first thing I want to talk about is the continued defense of the Detroit Free Press by both Harns and his quote-unquote boss, Joe somebody, who was on with Ryan Schilling. The two of them were on Ryan Ryan Schilling's uh, program in Lansing, where they continue to defend the Detroit Free Press while going after Drew Sharp for not apologizing. And you and I have been discussing this at length since day one, since when this all occurred, that as culpable as Drew Sharp is as a human piece of garbage, the Detroit Free Press is even at another level of how they've handled this. And right when we're doing the the show prep before the program started, I said the comparison is if you had one molesting uh, priest uh, diddling kids and the Catholic Church turned a blind eye to it, um, who is more, you know, who, where's the blame there? And obviously there'd be blame on the, the priest, but... The church, by covering it up, as we've seen, has become more of the pariah in the in, in the mind of, of the public, and that's what the the free press here is the Catholic Church, because this isn't the first incident. We go back to to Mitch Album, uh, Sharp in the past has has had other issues where they've covered up stuff. They have be, the free press is now the Catholic Church. Robert Hushka, who's the managing editor of the paper, uh, Kevin Bull, who's now the sports editor. They had a chance to address this head-on. And for Harns to continue to say the free press has done everything that he's asked and that there's nothing that the free press can do, that is complete and utter bullshit. The free press still has not responded to any inquiries about this topic. And it's not just from the DSR. We're talking about awful announcing. Deadline Detroit, Motor City Muckraker, the Metro Times, Cranes Detroit. Five entities right off the top of my, you know, my head, which I, there's more. And there's many more. Many more have questioned the free press. And the Detroit free press, the Detroit free press has continued to say no comment. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And 
for the for Harns and iSports Web to continue to just let them have a free pass is a hundred percent completely wrong. They are culpable in this. They continue to have bloody hands, and it and it's disgusting. And and you can talk about the reason that we think that they continue to exonerate the free press while going after Sharp. And first of all, this has been the drum I've been banging for a long time, is that the free press to me is worse because they have an inherent sort of elevated standard of ethics, an elevated burden to the public to act in an ethical way. I, You know, in theory, the individual journalist does have that same standard, in theory. But journalists come and go. But when you have a newspaper that's been around for 150 years, whose slogan is on guard for however many years it's been, there is an elevated standard. And and for them to continue to brag about how they're calling out Governor Snyder well, the, the for back, transparency, the yeah, hypocrisy. The pats on the back are, yeah. are hilarious. And this isn't, you know, this isn't even the type of thing where, you know, you and I often decry that there's really a, a death in journalism as it pertains to sports journalism where, oh, it's just sports, it's not that serious. The fact that this was in a sort of sports umbrella has nothing to do with anything. And that's something that we've seen on Twitter a few times, at least I have, is that, you know, are we making this big a deal out of a sports column? This has nothing to do with it. This is a newspaper. I don't care if it was somebody plagiarizing a political writer or plagiarizing anything to do with sports or real estate law or whatever it may be. When you have an issue with the editorial board's ethics where they come into question – this is something that the editor-in-chief of the newspaper was made well aware of. It has refused comment on numerous occasions. He blocks it, anyone. He blocks anyone who even asks. Yes. Anyone I, who asks on Twitter the question, even polite, automatically how about it? He, automatically, even if you're you're asking the question politely. That guy is in charge, Hushka or Hauschka, whatever his name is, Robert Hauschka, is in charge of everyone under that umbrella at the Free Press, not just the sports department. So this is a, a, a major issue. I don't care what department it landed in. And the reason why it's worse to have the newspaper do it and not just an individual journalist, why the Free Press is actually worse and Dave Harnes is wrong to absolve them is because it does show a systemic issue where there's multiple people deciding – Kevin Bull, Robert Hauschka, that this is not a big enough issue to address head on or really address at all. They've really run from the issue. And you've yeah. pointed out the irony repeatedly of a newspaper refusing comment to other media it, It's outlets. incredible. So I want to go to a clip. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, Joe from iSportsWeb and Harns were both on with Ryan Schuling and 92 on the team in Lansing. I've got some audio. It's about a minute long of Joe from iSportsWeb discussing – uh, the free press's involvement in this, and it's very telling. And I want to I want to play that. So, if Jessica, you can play the one uh, Joe yep. clip. A way, if you do it the right way, to you know maybe take a piece of someone else's work right. as long as you're attributing that or embedding a tweet or whatever it may be in an article. Um, but it also makes it that much more easy to, if you do make a mistake, to publicly apologize. Or you know, mm-hmm. it probably wasn't that easy for Mitch Album when he did it, as it would be for Drew Sharp to publicly apologize for what he did, which. You know, in our estimation, was it was blatant plagiarism, and that's how I look at it. And and that was something he lifted stuff from Dave's article without attribution that he did not get on his own, and that's never going to be okay. And and 
on the broader topic of iSportsWeb, we have about 180 student writers that write on our website, either for credit or to build their resumes and portfolios. That's not an easy thing for them to get. And we take a lot of pride in that. But, you know, plagiarism is like the capital offense in journalism. Absolutely. You, you just cannot do it. So we've actually had to terminate some students who are on four-credit internships for plagiarizing when we find that out. And it, it's... You know, it's like the president committing treason. I mean, it's it's like that level in journalism. So it just can't happen. What happened here shouldn't have happened. It should have been handled in a different way. You know, Dave and I are both big boys. We don't have an inferiority complex about oh, it's the iSports web versus the free press. That's not us. You know, we're we respect the free press and what they do, and they have great material there. They they allow us to post content on their website actually, and and that's an awesome opportunity for our Michigan State students to do that, and that's been a great relationship. So I feel we have a great relationship with the Free Press. We've been happy with how they've handled this. Mm-hmm. We haven't been thrilled with how Drew Sharp himself has handled this. Okay, so they compare what Drew Sharp did to the president committing treason. That paper has refused to comment on what occurred, and iSportsWeb's official position is we're happy with everything that the free press has done, which can only lead to one conclusion, that they don't want their 180 students who contribute being blackballed by the Detroit free press where their articles no longer appear on the pages of that newspaper. What else can I – what else can any common sense human being ascertain from that a minute and 12 second clip. Nothing. And and your Catholic church example analogy is so true here too, because you look at, this is the equivalent in your example, which I think does work of a raped boy saying, as long as the priest comes out and, you know, apologizes and apologizes to the community and whatnot, it's okay. But the Catholic Church who shielded that priest, you know, we're still good as long yeah, as, as long you, as yeah. And the, you look at we the, don't care if you send that that priest to Argentina and he does it again. As long as I mean, it makes no sense. As long as you still let me come to church and exactly you know, post on the bulletin board. And can was there a little bit of um, obsequiousness there in the wording? Just seven. You know, they they what. That was a re- reset to Damon the Dog Perry. Whenever someone used the word big word, you just say seven. Oh, okay. We, there's a, I, well, I'll use it again. I, I think they come off as obsequious. You have the the wording is seven. The wording, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> the the word the wording. If you go back to the clip, Joe says they allow us to post our information on there, and that was the tone that we've seen. Throughout that interview that Dave Harnes has carried throughout this entire entire process where it's this deferential tone of, you know, they allow us to post on there and they they couldn't have been any better. And, and you know, it, God bless the free press. It's still bad. Why else would you do that if not to protect that relationship? I, I, I think that's obvious. Yeah. I, I, there's All no right. question. So they need to really – Sit back and think about that. The freeps worse. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, they the, still have where's the piece bombing the free press? Yeah. If this is this relatively for Dave Harnes, this is like him going scorched earth. I mean, he he almost said gosh darn in this article. He came that close. If where is the piece attacking the free press? We're not going to see. Not, that. You're not going to see it. Right. You're not see and it. that's the piece we really need to see. And that's the difference between this website, ours, and every other one known to mankind, basically. Because we're not beholden. No. To the special interest groups in the super PAC. Oh, no, beholden to yeah. the, the local media outlets. And 
I've been told by every person in the local media, hey, Moss, if you just ta- calm down and wouldn't attack people and you wouldn't go after entities, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd have had a radio show by now. You'd have been on the free press. You'd, I don't want that. Fuck that. I've got, we've got our own thing. And right. iSportsWeb, come on, man. Grow some balls and call out the free press. This is bullshit. All right, so that's the first issue. The second issue, now I'm going to start defending Harns a little. Because when this article dropped and I said I was proud of him for what he did, I got attacked by kind of the inside DSR people saying it's too late, uh, he's full of shit, uh, he's doing it for attention. I had one member of the media contact me and say, fuck that guy, uh, it's too late. And uh, another person in the media said to me that they thought it was they were just doing it to drive hits to the website and get attention. And I disagree. We've both yeah, talked. I don't think that, we both yeah, talked to Harns. Kind of no, we both talked to Harns many times. He's not selfishly motivated. Um, no, in terms of like commercial, he just he just wants to write his little blog. And whether I believe in the Easter Bunny and Jew Zombie uh, resurrecting a couple days after he died, and I think it's all fairy tale and bullshit, and I think religion's a joke. I cannot argue that Harns is coming from a place where his religion is dictating his behavior. I don't think any of this is premeditated. I don't think he's doing it for attention. He's not that. He's just not. He's just that, not that, he's that not, kind he's of not guy. That conniving. No, right? he's not. No. He's not. He's just that wired that way. No, I think he his worldview and his religion and talk. I mean, the guy talked to his pastor about what he should do. His, that, that's what you do when you're pondering writing one of your takedown pieces. Right? Yeah, exactly. You, I think go exactly, talk to your rabbi exactly and, what the rabbi would say not to do, and then I do, I do the exact opposite. No, it, it, it's ridiculous. And as our uh, Jump Pete, DSR contributor, said, he should be bombing his pastor for giving him horrible advice. And that's what he, he, he's, he's been getting horrible advice from day one. And it, whether it's his imaginary friend in the sky, Jesus. Uh, praying to him or talking to the pastor, this is a separation of church and state people. This isn't. This has nothing to do with religion. Uh, if you want, at the end of the day, to think that Jesus will forgive Drew Sharp for plagiarizing an article and then lying to his boss about it, which is the almost as big a story as the plagiarism, because in Harms's piece back in December. He outed Sharp for lying to Kevin Bull, which is a huge piece of the puzzle. So not only did he plagiarize, he lied to his supervisor about it. He said that he got all of that information, the backstory, not from Harns, but from Connor Cook. And then he found out that he talked to him for less than five minutes, and it was an absolute impossibility. He lied. He's not only an unrepentant plagiarist who's never faced the music. He lied to his boss. And this has nothing to do with your worldview or religion. This is cut and dry. And, you know, it's the classic, in in Drew Sharp's case, the cover-up is worse than the crime. And they always say it's not the crime that sinks you, it's the cover-up. Drew Sharp committed a a crime, not literal crime, but (laughs) committed a crime, covered it up, lied about the cover-up. And still didn't face any repercussions. And, and that's – we have said repeatedly that Harnes was in a unique position to take him down months ago. 
And that's something, you know, you mentioned you got attacked for supporting Harns here. And I, I didn't get attacked, but I mean, I was with you on that. I think it's a step in the in the right direction. And for Harns, this was a huge step in the right direction and probably a difficult one to make. He's so milk toast. But I, I think overall, it's one step in the right direction, but it is too late. And I do think, and I made this point on the DSR forum, that if this exact article, other than you know the minor clarifications, but if this crux of this article had been published in late December or January, what are the chances that Drew Sharp receives a public reprimand at least and perhaps a termination at worst? I think it's a better than 50% chance that Sharp is addressed publicly by the free press in some way and punished if this article was published a few months ago. He, When Harn said to drop it a couple months ago, remember on Twitter, he was, and I chiding, him. He was chiding anyone for even discussing People it. were saying, yeah, he tweeted out, Sharp and I just talked and that's the end of it. I don't want to hear any more from any of you. He was like indignant about it. And people just are led by me bombing him. You don't get to tell us when this story is over. Now we find out today, two months later, that they had a 17-month, excuse me, 17-minute discussion on the phone where it would appear, based on what I read today in the article on iSportsWeb, Sharp still didn't apologize. Oh, it could have been a 17-month conversation that he wouldn't have gotten an apology. 17 (laughs) minutes. What do they talk about for 17 minutes? Was Sharp stuttering the whole time? And that's Yeah, absent an apology, what was the 17 minutes? What could you have talked about? Yeah. Well, Harms' family? Well, maybe he wants to know what's the going problems on. The problems at 105.1? That the worldviews they have? I, what could I, that have come? So now, so, I don't even understand. He went from saying, it's over, it's done, I talked to Sharp, drop it, people, and then when, when people kept calling him on it, getting mad at them, to two months later, now... This is it's a takedown piece. A takedown piece. I mean, and it was all, now you're telling me it was all because a noted troll, a guy who has a 20-year history of being an absolute piece of shit, wrote an article over the weekend saying that sports fans on Twitter have become, because of Twitter, sports fans have become lazy. That all just because he wrote that article? No, that, I mean, hold on. He it went was nuclear. That that article by Sharp that Harns referenced, you know, calling out people on Twitter and bloggers and whatnot. That was the impetus behind this, but it wasn't the only impetus behind it. It set this whole thing into motion. That the article came out and what happened. Dave Harns did take, I think, legitimate exception to it. Commented at, on Twitter about it and was getting bombed by you, myself. Many of our followers and readers, it was, I saw at least 10 or 15 messages bombing this guy saying, like, we don't even want to hear it from you. You don't get to say this. You were telling us to shut up. Right. You you were trying to silence this this movement, and you were the one person in a unique position to put it forward. So I I do think the article was the legitimate driving force. I think it was more about it was what you and I I I I give you and I the entire credit because you and I made our comments and other people kind of fell in line. I I think you and I going after him for him going after Sharp on Twitter was what led us to today. Right. I just I just think the whole thing is and like I said I have so many mixed feelings about this. I'm defending Harns on one one end. 
And then I'm, you know, I'm completely incre- incredulous about this set. Well, oh, it's an, it. it's an improvement, it's, but he right. hasn't gone it's just, all the way. The whole thing is just so mind-boggling to me. There's there's just no straight line. It's just all over the map. And for a second, let's talk about Sharp's article uh, that led to Harnes basically turning heel and going after him today and saying that he's. I mean, he. It seemed like he again, was rubbing it in Harnes's face. Yeah. Once once again, Harnes went from telling people don't bring it up. To now, Harn saying he's going to teach journalism classes about Drew Sharp and and, and, and relay how horrible horrible a person he is. He's warning in his article today anyone who is uh, a subject of an interview with Drew Sharp don't trust him. It's his, that he's it's a his, scumbag. It's his basically, mission that everybody understands the type of person. Drew right. Sharp, like I mean, it, this <laughs> because is, of this one one article. This is something like this is a Jeff Moss fatwa without all the swearing. I mean, this is really just like a. A uh, you know kid friendly version like the edited Eminem CD with the ex- explicit <laughs> lyrics taken out. This is this is basically him going his version of Jeff Moss Nuclear, and it's just a cleaner version. But this is a very harsh piece that he yes. wrote. I don't think overly harsh. I think appropriate. And I harsh. liked it. I wish he'd come on the show and well, answer some of our questions. He was invited. He said he might come next week. Okay, you know I'd, I'd like to answer because be I have bit. a lot of questions, and I think maybe maybe he can answer some of them for us, and we can get a. Some clarity, but Sharp walked into this mess. Like you said, it's almost like he stuck his nose like a dog training him not to go in the house. Stuck his nose. He was, his he nose was rubbing shit. it in his face. Twitter has made sports fans lazier, dumber, quicker to judge. That was Sharp's headline for March 25th, four days ago. Lazier, dumber, and quicker to judge. Lazier. This is a man who fell asleep and was caught napping at the Michigan Media Day last August, and someone took a picture and sent it to me of Drew Sharp on a oversized leather chair in Schembechler Center or whatever the fuck it's called, taking a nap at Jim Harbaugh's first media day. Now, I'm guessing that was probably a pretty lively event, and Drew Sharp, who's calling sports fans lazy, fell asleep. The same Drew Sharp who is so fucking lazy that he stole your article, Dave Harns. How can you, I mean, the absolute denial in Drew Sharp's mind to post this, knowing that he had to, did, did he not know this was going to happen? Did he not know he was going to be attacked by calling lazy, dumb, and quick to judge? Quick to judge. Quick to judge. This is the guy who... Buried Ohio State like three or four weeks before they won the national championship. Dumber, lazier, a guy whose last tweet, literally his last tweet, Justin, is Michigan State still sucks. And that was after they beat Ohio State. That was his last tweet. And this guy's going after LeBron James and Jim Harbaugh for their behavior. What's he going after LeBron James because he unfollowed the Cleveland Cavaliers? Oh, my God. That's a huge transgression. And here's here's the difference. He's going after fans on Twitter who are not professionals, who are acting as fans, and players in the NBA who are professional basketball players, not journalists. They might be clowns on in their free time. They might be doing it's it's actually worse than hypocritical. Drew Sharp in his capacity professionally as a journalist is exhibiting the exact behavior he's decrying in fans that don't have the same obligation to meet a certain standard. So it's actually, I think, worse than hypocrisy. It would be hypocritical if he were criticizing other journalists 
for this type of behavior, for being a clown on Twitter, for being overreactionary or whatnot. This is a guy who is attacking fans who have no burden and he has all the burden in the world. I, the, he is, And here's the debate. And we had this, and I honestly don't know the answer to this question. I'm not even sure if I lean one way. But you asked, didn't he know that there was going to be blowback on this? I honestly, we, we know pretty much for a fact that he writes most of his articles to troll. I don't know if he's this just oblivious or if this was a deliberate attempt to just rub it in Harns' face because that's what it seems. That's what it's in ours and, and any of his critics because that's what it seemed like to me. And I don't know. And it's coming the week that he got fired from another radio job. That's cementing the fact that he's never going to make it in that medium. This was the last quote in the last paragraph in his article. And while it has become a useful vehicle in the rapid dem- dissemination of viable information, it has also become a cesspool for the terminally vain, the childlessly impetuous, and the misguidedly self-righteous. That's why it shouldn't surprise that sports and Twitter have enjoyed a happy marriage over the past 10 years. No, do you know what Twitter has done, Drew? It has given people like us an equal voice to you, you fuck. It's been it, it's given us a way to disseminate your plagiarism scandal, where it's spread like a virus nationally. That's what it's done. That's why you're so angry with Twitter, Drew, a person who doesn't even use the you don't even use it. You don't even tweet other than to troll. And you have the fucking moxie, the chutzpah, the nerve. And you know what is so hilarious? Can we break down that quote a little bit? He calls these people on Twitter self-righteous. What's the definition of self-righteousness? Let's just pull it up. I mean, we know, but let's pull up just a literal definition. Having or characterized by a certainty, especially an unfounded one, that one is totally correct or morally superior. So Drew Sharp is on a moral high horse here. I'm not even going to explain why that's a disaster of a comment. And what's the definition of impetuous? He calls the fans impetuous. These people on Twitter that are fans of teams that are reacting to him. Childly. Childly impetuous. Impe- well, yeah, but in- let's just look at impetuous. Right. Let's isolate it. Impetuous. Acting or done quickly and without thought or care. Kind of like what he did in the Miranda McCoy story. Just it's his acting, whole career. Acting quickly without a care in the world. You look That's at, why I said the word childly. Right. Because what is childly? Childly is going on Twitter to try to State purposely still sucks. state still sucks. Harbaugh's never coming. Well, how about in 2013 when Michigan State finished the year ranked second or third, depending on the poll, 13 and one? They were eight and one or nine and one mid year, and he said he wasn't going to rank them in the top twenty yeah. on his poll. Like just, and he, and he's talking about he, people they, being they, they were ranked like seventh on every poll. You know, okay, put a fucking rattle if, in this if, motherfucker's if you, mouth. If you want to be, you know, Mister Tough Guy and downgrade a team, you know, you have them at eleven or twelve. You think you're unique. Everyone else has them at seven, eight, nine, whatever. You have them a few spots lower. That's fine. This is a guy who consistently has Michigan State ranked fifteen spots too low, and then doesn't apologize or offer any type of mea culpa. When they win the Rose Bowl, finish third in the country or second, depending on the poll. It's just Can we get to one other point? He's everything he's criticizing these fans for being. And again, you have to look at the difference. The fans don't have the burden that this guy has. They're not acting in a capacity of being a professional journalist. It does matter that that distinction. That sigh. I, was, that, that, was that, that an honor of Dave? That was honor. That was honor of was our next. Yeah, that was dead or Dave. Do you, do you want me to talk some more? Yeah, dead, dead or Dave. This is honor that I want to play you a clip, which is absolutely hilarious, and then we're going to we'll wrap up this segment. But this is a clip uh, from the show today with Shuling on ninety two one in Lansing. 
This was Harnes being asked by Schuling about the DSR breaking the story and, 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 and kind of delving into that. You've got to, you've got to listen to Harnes' response or his lack of response to Schuling's question. Included working directly with that fellow blog in the Detroit Sports Rec who originally broke this story. I know that Justin Spiro was working with you along with Jeff Moss. Is that what you were referring to, and what about that part of it would you have done differently? I was referring to how I gave uh, Drew Sharp cover, if you will. Yeah. I, I gave. <clears throat> Silence. That was, I mean, that first Highlight. Of all, that was the only throat clearing I recall from that 26 minute interview clip. But no, can what, we break that down? Let's unpack it. Yeah. Schuling asked the question about him working with the DSR on the article. So nonchalantly, too. So nonchalantly, when Harnes, you couldn't have asked a worse question because Harnes hasn't publicly stated that he worked with the DSR. And he resented that revelation. It would yeah. be kind of like before A-Rod came clean on steroids, Peter Gammons in that interview being like, well, you know, we all know you had that relationship with Victor Conti. So, I mean, that <laughs> that assumed, like, what was that? What was that about? And, you know, like, what's A-Rod? It's like, I didn't even come on the record with that. It's like, you, you can't just be like, so, about that conspiracy you were involved in. I mean, it, it, Dave when, Harns didn't when want, Har- And I know. went after Harns. And I think you were wrong to go after Harns for that. I went after him hard after he told people to leave him alone. And that the story was done, which obviously the story wasn't done, David, because you just posted another article about it today. But I unveiled the fact that he was your source. <laughs> which you shouldn't have done. Which I shouldn't have done. I, and okay. I was That's against. Fine. I've, I've That's made fine. that very I don't clear. Care. I I'm still, an asshole. I don't give a shit. I had nothing to but do with that. But the fact that Schuling asked him the question on the radio, like not having any idea like what a, what a potential landmine that Oh, I was, know. That Schuling had literally had no way – no. He had, he had no way to answer it, and like I counted four Mississippi. He had he had no clue. It was yeah, the it was most a solid four seconds. It was good. I was watching it. it was the most rattled anyone's ever been on the Schuling show since he asked me about Cuban American relations. Oh my God, the, 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 the story just will never end. And I don't know where does where, now what happens. I, I think it's just going to die. The free press isn't going to alter it. The free press already had a major microscope on this, and they needed that little nudge, or we really needed that nudge from Harnes at the time when there was some momentum behind the story. I think we needed just that little push across the goal line, which would have only come from Harnes. There was enough outside pressure, certainly, through all the outlets going after it. But I, I, I think that moment has passed. I think we're now at the 20-yard line, and the, a two-yard run isn't going to score now, so to speak. Harnes, it's too little, too late. While I, I appreciate symbolically Dave Harnes coming forward finally, I appreciate it that he's on the record, you know, decrying this behavior from Sharp. As far as any impact, I think that ship sailed, and that's where a lot of the frustration comes with our readers. Jimmy Petro, among others, has said, you know, basically, fuck this guy. And I, I'm not quite in that place, but. If you want to institute change, which I think we deserve, I think the public deserves better than Drew Sharp being covered for in the free press. I, I don't think that's fair to the public to have to be subjected to someone of, of that nature. I think that opportunity has been missed, and I think that will be a part of Dave Harnes' legacy. That you know, there is a punishment, so to speak, for Dave Harnes' failure to act when it was appropriate. Well, that that might be the last. Uh we discuss it unless the free press finally. Well, we might be interviewing Harns next yeah, week by well, the sounds of it. So 
That would be great. I, I, I wish you'd come little, into the studio. The story will be a little stale by then, but uh, not Tom Izzo stale. But, um, you know, I, I, I would happily have him in next week, you know, in or in or on. I think it'd be great to have him in the studio. I don't think that'll that'll happen. Um, I think he's actually out of town next week. That's what he, he said. He'll be on spring break with his kids. Certainly available to call in. Uh, but, you know, we have some questions that we need we need answered on this. And honestly, I, I, I think the onus is on him to answer these questions because he said in his article, these are his words, not ours, that he is done turning down interviews. He's ready to talk about it. And if he is coming from a position, as he claims, where he's a white knight and his goal is to be an advocate to make sure as many people as possible know what kind of guy Drew Sharp is, what kind of journalist Drew Sharp is, to warn them. We have a big audience, Dave Harns. We have a, we, this was our story to begin with. So I think you might want to talk to us. I think you might need to talk to us. No offense to Shuling, but you I'm need to talk to dubious. us more. I'm still dubious if he's going to come in and talk to us or call on the phone because in the article he wrote, there was links to three different articles about people being outraged by Sharp, and he didn't link us, okay? Well, now, I give him a pass because you wronged him. What you did was wrong. And what what you you outing him was not the right thing to do. So I don't blame. I give him a pass on that. You know, he owed us a middle finger. That's fair. I and I, I and I think it was a middle finger to omit us. Um, but I think it was a, you gave him a middle finger. He kind of gave it right. Middle back. finger. I fucking nuked the guy. You said it, not me. So no, I, you know, I, listen, I would defend Dave Harns. Why would Dave Harns? Unlike it? Drew Sharp, I admit my culpability in things, and I'm not saying I'm any white knight. I never have. I didn't say you no, said that. No, I'm I saying, know. Yeah, he his position. I, I I'm sorry, but it, you can't. And he can come on here and bash me for releasing stuff that he said right. privately. That's fine. And I'll and be I'll, on his. I'll, I'll be on his side of the I'll table. And I'll take it because yeah, that's. I have that's, said from day one. I didn't think that was the right thing to do. I tried to talk did you, you. You were entertained. I laughed, but I tried to talk you out of it in show prep. I tried to talk you out of it on the DSR forums. I don't think it was the right thing to do. I've never wavered on that. But I think if you're in a position where Dave Harns is, is claiming, this isn't the words we're saying for him. This is what his platform has been in that article. He put this forth. He wants the world to know what kind of guy and journalist Drew Sharp is, and he's going to do everything he can to get that message out. Well, if that's your claim, you can't let a, a thing with us. I wouldn't call it a petty issue with us. I think it's a legitimate issue with us. But you can't let an issue Me. with us get in the way. The last thing I'll say on this topic, and then we're going to go to a break and come back and talk about some some Wings topics, is this. And that is, Sharp made all of these preconditions on Harns before that 17-minute conversation. That it couldn't be recorded, that it couldn't land in the hands of us, um, that it was off the record, all this other crap. And I just die to know what that 17 minutes entailed if it didn't include an apology and I don't know if Harnes will discuss that issue at all. He should. I don't think he owes Drew Sharp a goddamn thing at this point. Excuse my language. Um, I'd like to get him under some truth serum and find out what what was said. I think more than anything, Drew Sharp is bothered by the DSR's involvement in this more yeah. than anything. Well, you know, I use the Shawshank Redemption quote of just you know the last thing that passed through the. You know, the uh, warden's mind other than that bullet was, you know, how did he ever let Andy Dufresne get the best of him? Drew Sharp had to have just been saying, for all the people that break the story of this bullshit, it's these people that I just despise. And There was an added element of that. I I know we're wrapping this up, but I just want to ask you to wrap the issue up. Do you think – you can just be yes or no. You don't have to expound upon it, but – 
Do you think that if he had written this article in a timely fashion that Drew Sharp would have been punished differently or at all? I think he would. I think if he would have wrote all of this back after the 17-minute discussion when it was still kind of more viable, I think the free press might have had to address it and he might have got – They. I mean we know he was suspended. It wasn't like the free press didn't do anything. We know that Sharp was suspended. We don't know if it was paid or not. But over that Christmas period where he didn't attend any of the bowl games, Michigan or Michigan State – or the Lions discussion, he never wrote a column. We know he was suspended. We know that. Yep. He didn't but just suddenly think, disappear for two weeks. I think weeks. the Free Press or 1051 uh, would have had to address it if 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 it was if if Harnes would have written this maybe in February instead of or maybe early or middle of January, late January instead of almost April. Fair enough. All right, we'll go to a break. When we come back, you've got some wings news. Um we got some uh Terry Foster audio to play we think is kind of hilarious. And then at the end of the show, we want to uh, get uh, either Bob or Dave, the proprietors of this wonderful podcast network, on the phone and yell at them a little. So maybe Jessica can work on that. We'll be back in a couple minutes. This is a previously recorded episode. We're back? Yeah. Okay. Uh, We were yelling at each other in the uh, break for Jessica Jessica thinks that defending me is someone saying what an awful human being that I am and her just responding by saying No. By saying, Well, he's nice to me. Most ringing endorsement you've ever gotten, I think. You know, I'm gonna, You're like the I'm Eva gonna, Braun yeah. of the podcast Detroit. Nice to me. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure Ryan Schuling appreciates that sixty five year old reference. Go to hell, because I, I do stick up for you and oh. go to hell. <laughs> okay, can we talk you, about the the bomb that he just dropped in the break? You wanna you wanna Jessica to, Bring that up to the audience. Why do I got to bring it up? See, why is he always making me accountable for shit? Anyways, I do stick up for you, and it's okay. not just so. Okay. I ask people to just not talk you, shit about you around Are you me. appearing on Chewing Show next Monday to discuss, you know, I don't know, like the golden era of film in the 40s or the production code, the Hayes Code? Are you guys going to talk about like Birth of a Nation? And I mean, how seriously, it, you're going to compare that to Gary Shandling? Well, I'm just, well, no, he's he appears, Moss appears on his weekly Segment with Ryan showing show. Fuck that. You just said you're only appearing on this show two more on weeks. Monday, Can we discuss that? Well, yeah, I, I'm curious about We're not going to talk about Gary this, Shanling. This guy spends an eight-minute interview. You just got lawyer, Jeff. Change the subject. With Eight-minute interview with Ryan Schuling that I look forward to every week for a nice Moss rant or two. And they're waxing poetic on the career of some comedian I've never even heard of. you never heard of Gary Shanling. Nope. Nope. Not until a couple days ago. That's unfucking believable so that is re- no have you ever I, just Seinfeld? I'm sure the I'm sure the listeners were thrilled as you guys discussed Gary Shanling for four and a half minutes and then they Oscar music you off the show Justin Spice okay who cares you said that you're only doing the show for two more weeks you're giving me your two weeks notice well, today I'm like at Mort Meisner you know I have a valenny with Mort Meisner uh, there might be something else in the works and you know, we have Excuse to me? we have to look at this. We have to look at every opportunity presented to us, and our camp is, uh, you know, shuffling through the offers, so to speak. Who's so, R? I can't I can't get into that right now. Are you banning it, us? Because that's banning you. Yeah, abandoning. Are you leaving? Maybe. What? We'll see. We'll dis- we have to discuss finances a little bit. Finances. Uh, yeah. What finance? There's no finance. Well, with no, show. I mean, I, t- I mean, uh, yeah, I have two more shows after this minimum, so that's what the contract states. 
So The DSR is sponsored by KellyTickets.com. April shows in the D include Bruce Springsteen, Iron Maiden, Iggy Pop, and Justin Bieber. Or if you want to torture yourself watching Brad Osmus bungle yet another game like the incompetent buffoon that he is, they can get you Tigers opening day seats for April 8th. Give them a call at 877-225-8425. That's 877-225-8425 to lock down some seats today. Also mention the DSR to receive 10% off your order. Once again, that's Cali tickets as in LL Cool J. Going back to Cali. 877-225-8425, as you can see, the proprietor of that business, not a big fan of Brad Osmus. Speaking of coaches in the crossfire in Detroit, you kind of broke some news on Twitter today. Uh, since you only have two weeks left, and I'm going to have to coddle you for those two weeks to make sure you don't go somewhere else, you want to discuss what you tweeted out to the masses earlier this afternoon? Well, there's times where I have some bombshell story to break, and you know we all know what happened with the Osmus thing, but where it requires an entire article. And then there are times where I literally have a, a text message from someone. It's one sentence, and there's not a whole lot more added to it, and I'm not going to write an entire article based on one sentence. So basically I had a, a brief conversation with, with someone via text message today. And not going to get into the details, but we have on very good authority directly from a Red Wings player that Jeff Blaschel, that whole experiment in Detroit is not going so well. And it's we, it's something we already suspected based on what we see on the ice. And that's one thing. And that's obviously, I think, ultimately the most concerning. But the players are not as hot on, on Jeff Blaschel as we thought they might be and really as as they thought they might be. Going into this season, when the decision was made to have Blaschel replace Babcock, the general, and we I tweeted this throughout the process from the same source in that locker room, the mood around the locker room was good. The team was happy to have Blaschel in. Half of them had played under Jeff Blaschel in the minor leagues, had a good experience with them. The word on Jeff Blaschel now, now that he has actually gotten the job and he has replaced Mike Babcock, he's got the top job at the NHL level, is that Jeff Blaschel has transformed into basically a Mike Babcock 2.0, that he's a different guy, not that he was ever a barrel of laughs in the minors or in West or at Western Michigan, but he has become more of a disciplinarian, a little bit more of a yeller, a little bit more no-nonsense. And the players on this team just aren't buying it. They Half of them know that's not really who What's he the is. Quote? What's the exact quote? Oh, I have to pull up the exact. Want me to pull up the exact quote? I can pull it up in a second here, but because I took it right from the message, I got uh, it right here. Go ahead. Blashill has tried too hard to carry himself exactly like Babcock. He's not his own man. And that was a direct word for word from a Red Wing player. So obviously concerning. You know that you can say a lot of things. What my prying and the only really real thing I got other than that quote from this was, was that Babcock had a certain level of credibility in the locker room. He had he really could easily have three Stanley Cups. He does have one, gold medals in the Olympics and whatnot. So he was, by the end of his tenure in Detroit, pretty much despised by all but a couple players in that locker room. But there was at least a level of respect there. He had the credibility to be an asshole. They hated him. They thought he was an asshole, but he had credibility. And the players have done nothing this year to stop you know, and the thought that they just couldn't stand Babcock, including Zetterbrooks, made some comments 
It, there's no oh, secret. That was well, and you had your own sources on that too. Yeah. I mean, you know, separate from this, I said a different sort. Right? We had our we you know we know who our sources are, being editors and whatnot. But uh, you know, we have guys in, in management and one guy on the team, a guy that plays every night for this team, saying well, that Mike Babcock was despised. But it, it but is the thing is, you he already came into the season, Blashill with the problem that he sounds exactly like Mike Babcock. His cadence, the way he talks, is exactly like and that that's no Mike fault Babcock. Of, that's no, no fault. No, no, but I'm own, saying he's but, already got that issue going where right. it's almost like the guy the, the the new coach comes in and it's almost like he's doing a rich little impersonation of the previous coach, which like you said, I don't think he's doing that. He's at some Stepford wife type of deal where he's trying to imitate um Babcock, but he's already that just that just Something that's known, it's you know, it's joked about that the guy sounds almost exactly like yep. Mike Babcock. So we had hoped that under the Blashill regime, things would have changed. And it, we're we're almost at the end of the season when there's six games left in the regular season. They're precariously holding on to a hope to continue the playoff streak, and he's on behind the bench. We've seen. A lot of the same crap that we didn't like from Babcock. The Cronwall Erickson pairing, which he had broken up earlier in the season, he's brought back. Um, the fact that Athanasiu is the leading player on the team for drawing penalties. The guy has been absolute, a- absolutely uh, a, a find this year, and he plays like six minutes last night. Almost every evening, he's playing the least amount of minutes on the team. The fact that Yuriko and and um, Poolkinen are sitting, while Mike Richards, the corpse of Mike Richards, keeps getting thrown out there 16, 17 minutes a night. Brennan Smith, a healthy scratch last night, instead of Jonathan Erickson, who twice a game makes Adam Oates-esque passes to the opposition. Nicholas Cronwall clearly... Clearly, a shell of what he used to be. I've never. It's. It's. I can't remember a guy deteriorating that quick at his age. Statistically, you can just look at look at the numbers, and our friend Prashant Ayer posts them on almost a daily basis. The advanced stats, and Brennan Smith, at the very least, is much better than Cronwell and Erickson, and he's a healthy scratch. And it seems like Blashill is just. He's terrified to sit guys that Ken Holland has given outrageous deals to. We, we've discussed this ad nauseum. I'm not going to get into a lot today, but we're paying these guys until Hillary Rodham Clinton's second term in office, four, five, six million dollars, depending on who the player is, Abdelkader or uh, Erickson or Cronwall, whoever it is, should either be sitting on the fourth line, and I don't think Blashill has the balls to do what's necessary because he's either intimidated by Holland, giving direct orders by Holland. It, it just, it just really, it's really disturbing. And I hate, I don't want to bury another coach. I have, I, I think I've been pretty fair with Blashill. I'm, I'm just sick of, you know. I don't want to become a cliche of myself and going after coach after coach. It just it's just disheartening at this point where we thought we were getting a breath of fresh air and we've other than just being a complete dick, which we 
personally, I think you're even your source that he's not a, he's not an asshole like Babcock was, where they absolutely hated him, 95% of the team. But other than that, we've got Mike Babcock redux. It's kind of, uh, it's not completely analogous, but it's somewhat similar to Flip Saunders coming into, you know, a veteran team that had had some level of success with a big name coach before him. And you go from, you know, and, and obviously Flip had experience that Blashill didn't, so it's even really a more extreme version of that. But you go from a locker room where, you know, love or hate Larry Brown, there was a profound respect for him with the Pistons. Flip Saunders had not had that cachet and didn't carry that level of respect. And it's somewhat similar in this regard. And again, to a more extreme degree, as Blashill doesn't have near the resume that Flip Saunders had. I so, think it's comparable to Osmus Leland, where Osmus yeah. came in as a, the young guy. Everyone thought he was the advanced metric guy. He went to Dartmouth. He's you know a smart, intelligent person. And he came in and tried to be a Jim Leland clone. I don't understand these guys getting their maybe one shot at this type of a gig. Both kind of getting nice job. I mean, the Tigers are coming off back-to-back to whatever. Division titles, got a quality team, highest payroll in the division. The Red Wings, for all their troubles, they're still a team that's made the playoffs 24 straight seasons and have some you know very good young players some better you know some veterans who are still hanging on to dear life and they come in and don't want to put their imprint their own vision they're just going to you know be carbon copies of their predecessor I don't get it I don't understand I just don't understand why Blashill hasn't been more willing to go away from the status quo and I, I think I'm right there with you in not wanting to just absolutely bury, uh, you know, a, a, another coach. But I, and I don't think we're at that position with Jeff Blaschel. My understanding from the conversation that I had today is not that he's completely lost the locker room. It's about to be a mutiny. There's just this sort of general kind of eye roll, like, okay, whatever, buddy. You know, like when he's trying to go And that's off kind of what we've got with – we've heard from the Tigers' locker room with Osmus. Yeah, well – and <laughs> Very similar. Actually, Osmus, similar in a way. I, Osmus, from my understanding, from the people we've spoken to, is that he's not even really trying to crack the whip, and it's more just kind of a real almost two-loose clubhouse. But that's the issue with Blaschel is really is that he's coming in there. There's not that contrast that teams usually go with where you have a, a player's coach and then you have a disciplinarian and then you fight a disciplinarian and you bring the player's coach. He's really just uh, a, a little bit less extreme version of Babcock but without the credibility. So they might you know, say, hey, Babcock, fuck you or you're an asshole or this or that. But they didn't really roll their eyes if Mike Babcock said something. I mean they were disgusted and hated him at the end, but there was a certain level of credibility that Blashell just can't have and it's not Blashell's fault. He's just he's earlier in his career. But you can't really act that way with the, the sense of credibility. So I think that's the issue that – I think he can still correct. From my discussion today, it doesn't seem that this is a lost thing where he's, you know, he's about to get fired. He's lost the room. But he does have to change. You, you can't just come in there cracking the whip. And he has been very strict and, and cold in a, in a sense. And you know, it's, he has not been the player's coach that we had imagined he might be. Uh, I have to correct myself. I called them Mike Richards. Obviously, it's Brad Richards. Yeah, early onset dementia, which is now no. which was not I, the guy that was busted at the border. For yeah, drugs exactly. And, uh, that's a nice segue to our next uh, discussion. Before early we, onset dementia. Before we get there, I do want to touch. I, I 
you brought up Athanasiu's lack of playing time. The official DSR hockey correspondent, friend of the DSR, Jack Johnson, and I had a, a great conversation a few days ago, and I was asking him about uh, the wings, specifically Larkin and Athanasiu, before Jack went down for the year he had played in Detroit uh, at the end of February. And he said, you know, he said he likes Larkin a lot, good player and whatnot, but he said Athanasiu is impressive. He said the exact quote was a poor, poor man's Alexander Ovechkin, where you see him out there and he's he's bigger than anyone realized. Like when you're actually on the ice with him, he's a big guy. And he's so explosively fast. He said it reminds me of just like a much worse version of Ovechkin, which he, he meant as a compliment, just saying you have this kind of deceptively big guy who just explodes on the puck and and can get on this rush so quickly. So he said his takeaway just being on the ice against this kid was this kid's going to be really good. So count official DSR hockey correspondent NHL player Jack Johnson among the big fans of Athanasiu. I didn't specifically. That's why he plays six minutes. I a didn't. Game. Oh, I didn't even mention the playing time issue. But oh, uh, so I, I and if I, and if Jack had commented, of course I wouldn't relay that anyway. But uh, you know, basically, I thought it was interesting that Jack, who had actually been on the ice against him, said not just him, but guys on the Blue Jackets were saying like, "This kid's good." I mean, so the perception when you you're out there against him is like you have you have to watch him because he's he's explosive. The fact that he's drawn more penalties than anyone on the team playing half of the games, if that. And playing less playing time than anyone on the team is just remarkable. It's just it's crazy. And the fact that he's not playing at least 12, 13 minutes a game is just another thing we could discuss probably for the rest of the show. Yeah, Jack, but, Jack I, thinks that he's pretty good. That's all yeah, I'll say. Well, I think we can all <laughs> see that too, and we're not NHL defensemen. So last night, I guess it was Gordy Howe's 88th birthday, I think, and his sons, Mark and Marty – who he once played on a line with, with the uh, Hartford Whalers. Excuse me, played on not on a line because Mark was a defenseman and uh, Marty was a forward, but uh, played on the same team. They brought him down to the Joe Louis Arena. They brought a birthday cake out, and I was bothered by this. I don't, I don't know what your take on this was, but it was so sad to see this man who suffered a stroke a few years ago who has either Alzheimer's or dementia, and not just like a little bit, but a lot, that the family continues to drag him down to Joe Louis Arena and parade him out for the fans. Clearly he's confused. He didn't know to blow out the cake. He's got a blank stare on his face. It was so sad that Mickey Redmond in the booth was crying at the site of Gordie Howe at the Zamboni entrance. And my question for Mark and Marty Howe is, can this man die with dignity or not die, but spend the last few years of his life not being dragged out like a show pony? Uh, am I wrong? Am I being heartless? Is this a bad take? I, I seem to get a lot of support when I tweeted it out last night. No, I I think it would make for better radio if I disagreed with you, but I do agree with you wholeheartedly. I I you know I didn't see it live. I, I caught a clip of it after the fact, and I do think it's sad. You know, this is a guy even when he had all his faculties in place, mentally was as sharp as can be. The prime of his life as a player at the end, 
was getting ripped off in financial deals, some of which are public, some are not, but he had nowhere near the money that he should have had. And that was until his wife at the time took over and said, like, you're getting reamed here. You're the, at one point in his career, he was like the ninth highest paid player on his own team. He was the best player in the sport. So this is a guy that was already kind of uh, easy to take advantage of. Now he's at the end of his life. I don't care what your personality was, what your temperament was in your youth. This is a guy that doesn't really have the capacity to make a decision to say no would the 30-year-old Gordie Howe want this 90-year-old, almost 90-year-old version of himself, you know, sort of trotted out Being there like Being paraded this. out there. Right. I don't think it's, he's – You know, he doesn't, have the, he doesn't have a decision in this. That's what I'm saying. He, he doesn't can't. have that would he want have wanted that. I think a lot of people would say no. And for Mark Howe to defend it by saying he was so excited the night before, we told him he was going to the game, he was so excited he couldn't sleep – I'm guessing it was because he thought he was going to play. And I'm not making a joke here, I swear. I'm dealing with a family member who's going through some of these issues, okay, with dementia and sundowners and all that crap. And I sure as hell wouldn't drag that person out into the public eye. I have a little more respect for that person than to do that. And I don't know if it's selfish or what. I mean, Mark Howe's explanation is we think we owe it to the fans who were so supportive you don't owe shit to the fans. You owe it to your dad. And Why I'm guessing fans? if his dad had a decision, like I said, he doesn't, he wouldn't be going out there with this blank look on his face. Like he doesn't know where he's at. People are talking to him. He's just he's just staring into space. The announcer for the team who knows him well, who knew him when he was had all his faculties, is up in the booth crying where he can't gather himself to call the game. What is the point of all this? I don't I, I don't get it. Gordy Howe doesn't know that the fans – I don't think he knows the fans are cheering. I don't think he knows who the fans are at this point. I don't think he knows what was going on. It sure doesn't appear that way. I know people who five, six years ago had interaction with him who said that that the Alzheimer's wasn't very good. So I just don't get it. I just got a, a – a, a, we'll get a ticket text here on Twitter from a Judy D'Angelo – Quote, I'm appalled that Mr. Howe's sons would display their poor dad like this. My mom had dementia. Her dignity was priority number one. I agree with that. And here, here's the thing. Another one. Let me read one more and then you can go. Go ahead. This is from Scott House. I helped my grandfather take care of my grandmother who has dementia. What the Wings and the Howe kids are doing is sickening. Here's what I'll say. And I don't, I don't know the Howe family. I've never met the, the boys or whatever. I, I'm purely speculating, but I, I, I am trying to put myself in their shoes, and I'm not defending them. But I think the reason they trot Gordy out like this is I think if you stop making this type of appearance, I think it's sort of an admission that you're letting this guy go. I, that's the only thing I can think of is that it's almost a defense mechanism for themselves that, hey, if we need to – sort of preserve this relationship with the Red Wings this, and we have to be able to appear at the ceremonial whatever. I mean, if we give that up, it's sort of giving up on Gordy's life. That's the only thing I can think of is that they're sort of clinging on to his viability as a public figure, not even for selfish reasons, but just for the self-preservation of their emotional attachment to him. And, and again, that's purely speculation. I have no idea. But whatever the motivation, at the end of the day, I think it's horrible what they did. I think it's exploitative, however unintentional it may be. And I don't, it's not something I would want for anyone I cared about. I've only met Gordy Howe once when I was a young kid, but just as another human being, 
I, that was heartbreaking to see. And I, I thought you were seeing a guy be a dog and pony show that did not have the, any say in the matter. You know, in the and last few months of my dad's life when he was sick and I was taking care of him, people, his friends, family members, other not immediate family, wanted to see him. And he was either in a hospital or rehab facilities. And basically my dad said, the only people I want to see are you, Carrie, my sister, and his, and his sister, and my, my sister's kids. That was it. And because he still had his faculties. I mean, his body was failing because cancer was eating at him. But he could still make his own decisions. Right. And I think most people in that, in that situation, they just don't want, to, they don't want people to see them in that, in that fashion. And I'm guessing, like most people, if Gordy Howe had a decision to make, and he could make his own decisions, I'm guessing he wouldn't want to be paraded out at Joe Louis Arena, looking like just like he's gone. Like and there's the, nothing there. And this whole notion of he owes the fans, it, Gordy Howe has appeared at many of these ceremonial presentations over the years. He's a guy that gave what forty years of the organization in varying capacities, mostly on ice. I, what more does Gordy Howe at 88 we owe the fans who supported him? He owed them his best effort on the ice when he was getting paid to play here, and that's what he gave by all accounts. And he went way beyond that after the career. was a great, great ambassador for the city and for the organization. At what point is, is this guy – I don't think he even had any dues to pay, but at what point has he paid his dues and he's allowed to just go live his life out in private? I I, I think it is disgraceful, and again, we've touched on this, but he didn't. It wasn't his choice, and I, I think it would be if he had all his mental faculties in place. I think Ernie Harwell was with it to the very end mentally. You know, Harwell could make that type of decision. Right. This is not a guy, and Harwell appeared very sick at the end of his career. You know, just off the mound at he Comerica had cancer Park too. I think he right? had cancer, and yeah. he said, "You know, you fans are the best of all, no doubt about that." But Harwell was completely with it. His body, as you said, you know, with your father was failing him. As advanced in age as Ernie was, he made that final appearance. That was his call. He right. wanted to and do my dad, that. Yeah, like my dad, it was his call. Whatever he, but and he was coherent. Gordy's got no decision this making. Right. And then we got some more breaking news, which it seems like every other week something Worse. occurs during the show, and it usually seems to come from awful announcing. Go ahead. And once again, it does. The headline currently on awful announcing is. David Harnes calls Drew Sharp out over lack of apology in plagiarism case. Is this Ken Fang? Nope. Nope. Andrew Buckholtz. So now Harnes' article, and I I claim ignorance in this issue. I didn't send them the leak to Harnes' article, as I usually do, trying to get uh, people in trouble nationally, Matt Derry or Drew Sharp or whoever the case may be. I had nothing to do with this. They picked this up uh, on their own. Uh, and they just bomb Sharp. Right, Roger again. Stone. I had nothing to do. With it. I had nothing. I swear. I didn't plant that. In Let me tell you something. Story. One thing I will admit. I I will always admit, and I am always upright, up up you know forthcoming and honest about my, my shenanigans and my dirty tricks. You would you deny that? No. Okay. Thank I you. Would, I wouldn't deny that. So they they've now made made Harnes's article a national story by posting it and tweeting awful announcing just minutes ago, which. Is uh, great. One last thing about the Red Wings, and then we'll go to a break, and we'll come back with some some uh, closing uh, topics. So last week, your favorite show, The Virginal Manatee and Benedict Karsh on ninety seven one. You know we haven't fo- been focusing on that station much lately. Uh, it's 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 garbage, also. But one hundred five one, the hilarity of uh, the uh, Three Stooges over there, 
and uh, interviews with Lofonzo Ellis and uh, who else have they had on recently? PJ Carlissimo. The, their midday, excuse me, their PM drive show has become an absolute NBA. It's like it could be on the NBA network on Sirius XM. That's about all they discuss is basketball. Like, I think today they had the Oklahoma City uh, play-by-play announcer on. Uh, why Why was Lafonso Ellis on this show? I have, we talk, how, this, I have this no clue. This guy who retired in 03, never played in Detroit, didn't play college locally, wasn't born here. I have no I, idea. Uh, I mean, it was, I was at such a loss that I posted. He's not even like an analyst now. I anything. asked people, like, I like, I asked people no yesterday who the next guest would be, and we had about 100 responses the winning answer was Bison Daley, who's been dead, I think, for a decade. Uh, that, that that was the uh, winning answer. Who would be the next guest on uh, the uh, Shore and Lindsay Hunter program? But anyway, we've been focusing too much on them. Get back to 97.1 for a second and just the awfulness of that show, uh, of that station. And we're going to get to Terry Foster in the next uh, segment. But Anderson and Karsh had a subject the other the other day about the Wings. Would you rather the Red Wings make the playoffs or would you rather the Wings miss the playoffs and win the lottery, which I think is about a .01 chance based on where they're going to end up finishing in the standings that they'd miss, which means they would be able to get Austin Matthews, who is projected to be a Connor McDavid type, uh, the next great thing in the NHL, American-born kid, and the fat slob virgin and Aldrich Ames both said that they would rather the Red Wings make the playoffs than get the first pick in the draft, which means basically they probably have Austin Matthews for the next decade plus. The absolute ignorance on sports topics when they delve into the four Detroit sports teams is just jaw-dropping. We have two alternatives in this city. Guys who know nothing about Detroit sports or people interviewing Scottie Pippen and Lafonso Ellis and the play-by-play announcer for the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's our two choices. And people understand why we're mad and we have a website devoted to bombing these people. And Here's there's a couple of issues that we need to break down, and this is something I have to rely on the reporting of multiple listeners of that station on Twitter because I didn't. Well, we don't to, listen. We just but, luckily we right, have people who but tell it's us. Not a, it, according to multiple people who are listening, it goes beyond what you just said. It wasn't just that you know make the playoffs or get the first overall pick in the draft. Awesome Matthews, who by the way has been compared favorably to Jonathan Taze. And Andre Kopitar, two perennial all stars. Athanasiu, Larkin, and Matthews. I'll take that for the next well, few years instead of getting annihilated keep, in the first round by the Washington Capitals. And this is, you know, it's not like a Niall Yakupov situation where he's considered a very high end prospect. He's a good, you know, scoring, winging prospect. This guy is a, a big center who's considered absolute can't miss. Where, I mean, you know, typically those absolute lock can't miss guys, I mean, other than like Alexander Daig. They they pretty much hit every time. It's almost like ninety eight percent of yeah this point the ones that are this highly regarded. Exactly. I mean, they, they're they're at least very good, if not fantastic. So this is a guy that's going to be a perennial all star. He's going to be a ten time all star as long as he's healthy. Yada yada, playing the center, the most important certainly forward position. And it wasn't just oh you can make the playoffs. According to multiple people on Twitter, I wish I had heard it myself. 
it wasn't just that. It was that even if I knew they would get eliminated in the first round, which makes it 10 times worse, just the continuation of the playoff streak and what it would mean to the city and the team, that was actually a comment that apparently Karsh made. That I believe it was Karsh. I'll have to double check. I believe it was Karsh that allegedly said he wanted that playoff side of that coin even if he knew the Wings would get eliminated in the first round just to keep the streak alive. So even if you wanted to play the – first of all, I think it's ridiculous anyway. The team's not going to win the cup. But if you wanted to say – you wanted to make the argument, I want that 1% chance at the cup instead of the 0% chance. You know, you always have a 1% chance or better if you're in the field. I don't care what team it is. I at least can like wrap my mind around that, but even that, though it's an absolute fucking horrible I don't, take. Right, right. terrible take. I'm, wait, me, I'm not. I'm not they have a 70 IQ, right? But at least, right, but at least like we yeah. get it. But for for this to be put forth, and I, some of the callers apparently agree too. This playoff streak is to me the playoff streak is something I consider cool. It's something I consider an accomplishment, but it's not something I cherish. It's something that needs to be preserved. It's kind of this thing where it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's that's oh, pretty impressive, but I don't hold it in this sort of coveted position where if it ended, it, I would be distraught. Yeah, like, the, does anyone care the Los Angeles Kings? Do you think Los Angeles Kings fans cared they missed the playoffs a couple of years ago? I mean, they've won Stanley Cups. They're one of the favorites this year, the Blackhawks. Too. It'll be the Kings I mean, or the Blackhawks yeah, again this year. You yeah, exactly. The goal is to win championships, not, you know, Half come the home. the makes the playoffs. Come home, you know, the every every year now – the last week of the season comes down to the last two games, whether they make the playoffs or not, and then they play an extra 10 days because they get eliminated in the first round. That's not fun. The goal is to win a championship, and the way to do that is get someone like Austin Matthews. And even if you you didn't get him, if he had the second or third pick, one of the Finns, which I'm sure obviously uh, – Anderson and and, and, the, and Benedict have no fucking clue who any of these guys are, I'm sure. It's just the point is you've got two options in this town right now. In Detroit, Sports Talk Radio, guys who know nothing at all about the Detroit sports teams, other than Valente, who basically plagiarizes the DSR for his takes. Well, at least he picks a good source. Yeah, exactly. I give him credit for that. Or Dave Shore, Ryan Armani. Tom Mazaway. It's just incredible that we, there's not one the show. Dearth, there dearth is no, options. there's not one show. There is not one show you can listen to unless maybe, maybe, maybe Valente is by himself and Terry Foster is out uh, looking at new restaurants. And that is a good show in that episode. Yes. Yeah. Looking to be at fair. You know, new uh, smokehouses or Mexican cantinas to invest in. And speaking of Terry Foster, after the break, we've got some audio we think you'll appreciate from him. We're going to take one last break, and then we'll come back with the final segment on the show. Thanks for listening to the DSR Podcast. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we're back. Last segment of the show. Um, DSR Podcast. What is it, 23, 24? I fucking lost count. I'm sure Taylor could tweet and tell us. DTP. He's always on top of uh, what episode we're on. And now we're the part of the show where Spiro gets on his laptop and just ignores me and starts typing away. <laughs> every, every, you know, this is a little later than usual. I'm going to really miss this part of the show where you completely ignore me and distract me when you get on your MacBook, <laughs> when you uh, give your two weeks notice and you're no longer on the show because you're off to bigger and better things. You're, I'll have to find another co-host who completely tunes out around 6.15 <laughs> because their attention span is so short 
that they can only last about 75 minutes. So he starts just text messaging people in a Facebook uh, group message that I'm not part of and then tries to end the show after 90 minutes. The Vegas group we're supposed to be on for two hours. The Vegas group doesn't like your music selections during the break. That's all. That's the discussion. Listen, they can eat my taint is all I have to say. They don't like smashing pumpkins. They can fuck themselves. I'm sure they don't know who Gary Shandling is either. These millennial morons. I don't know who. And by the way, Jessica's all worried and terrified that Spiro's actually going to leave the show. Well, because I think you guys have good chemistry. We do have that. Yeah, we have great chemistry. But as I pointed out to you in the break, I showed you my text messages where every week we're supposed to get here around 4.30, to do like 25 minutes, half hour of show prep mm-hmm. so we don't come on here and make you know jackasses out of ourselves. And every single week I get a text message from Spiro telling me that his estimated time of arrival is somewhere between 5.15 and 5.26 every week, <laughs> which means he would be between 15 and 26 minutes late for the show. He has now upgraded his taunting of me <laughs> by sending fake screenshots of MapQuest or Google Maps or Apple Maps showing that his actual that he won't be getting here until five like twenty two. He does this every week, and and you believe he's you giving actually, us two weeks notice? Well, I don't know. He you put a serious face on. This, so yeah, this I guy don't know. his serious face. Please. Well, it looked like a serious face to me. You know what he told me before the show tonight when we what? had our you know ten minutes of <laughs> show prep because he was actually on time and not twenty five minutes late. Uh-huh. He said. You don't have to worry about one day your child getting on the internet and finding out things about (laughs) their father. And that's why he refuses to talk about how much he spent on Denzel Valentine memorabilia or how much he's betting on Michigan State to win the national championship or how much he spent on Stifler's T-shirt from the original American (laughs) Pie movie. That's why he refuses to talk about that because one day maybe Evelyn Spiro is going to Google Justin Spiro and find out that her dad is kind of a goofball. I'm guessing that she's going to learn that just dealing with you in her life for the first 18 years until she goes to college. I don't think she's going to need to Google Justin Spiro. And if she does Google Justin Spiro, she's probably not even going to find you. She's going to find the gay blogger. <laughs> so I don't know what you're fucking worried about. Do you think you think Evelyn, Evelyn's going to actually go listen to a podcast? <laughs> if Dave and Bob are still paying their bills at that point, keeping this archived, and we can still... In- like 12 years, <laughs> listen to a podcast from 2016. You can't even watch DSR TV from a couple no, years ago. No, this isn't going to be in the, this isn't going to be online anywhere in 10 years. I'm going to be dead almost positively from a heart attack. Or, or, or Rob Parker I'd hitting wor- a run. <laughs> I'd way more worry about other things that Evelyn can find on the internet than her dad saying how much he spent on a tracksuit from Denzel Valentine <laughs> when he met him up at Somerset Mall in March of 2016. If that's your biggest worry in life, you've got a pretty good goddamn life. Good Republican life, as you would say. Exactly. All right, so speaking of 97.1, as we were talking about in our previous uh, segment, Terry Foster never fails to amaze us. Whether it's going into a candy business that went bankrupt, 
lending his name to a smokehouse that went out of business after six months, uh, being the shadow purchaser of a liquor license for a Mexican restaurant where an Outback Steakhouse went out of business. Think about that for a second. Outback Steakhouse, a publicly traded company, couldn't make it in the location, and Terry Foster and his dolt partner thought their Mexican restaurant with racist uh, murals on the wall that Donald Trump would be offended by. He thought they thought they could make it. They okay? were going to outsmart the executive board of. I, I'm sure Outback is owned by a larger conglomerate. But, of course, at this but, point, I, but. It's incredible that you have the ultimate support system, the inherent brand that something like Outback has where you don't have to take out local ads to say, hey, there's an Outback in town. You just put the sign up. And by all accounts, Outback did not get nearly enough traffic. It's just a a brutal location. It's a brutal location. That's what we were told by a couple people that were Terry Foster's pal decided to put in a Mexican restaurant with horrible food and horrible service and thought that could outdo the Blooming Onion. It didn't. It, 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 Foster, it, it, the question is, did it, make, did it make money like Foster Smokehouse did? Yeah, right. Did they get bought out? Yeah. By the way, Foster then goes on. When the closed house, which you gave the name aptly, went out of business, he claimed that they actually made money in the six months and that they sold the property, which he didn't own. I mean, it was the biggest bullshit story. And then when he gets pranked by Sour Shoes a few weeks ago, admits that the place failed. But it wasn't his fault. He just lent his name to it. The guy can't even keep his story straight. He's the African-American Detroit Sports Radio Ralph Cramden, always looking for the next uh, business opportunity. The next quick score. Yeah, quick score, which he's now on to on his Instagram account, shilling for Xfinity. But he hasn't stopped there. Now he somehow got into bed with LaFontaine, Buick, or whatever. They have all, all types of car dealerships, the family of Pat LaFontaine. Another former uh, high draft choice who was a very good player and I think is in the Hall of Fame, even though his career ended abruptly because of concussions. He's now blogging and being sponsored by LaFontaine Auto Group. This has now become an audio blog. I don't even know what you're about to hear. What do you ever even call this? But I was told that this is being constantly played every time a 97.1 show goes to a break. Now, I'm going to play this audio for you. It's about two minutes. I think we're going to – are we going to have to stop this at some point, Spiro, and, and maybe comment? I'd or should we just play it right through? Blast it through and we'll break it down after. Okay. I, there's a lot. We might have to there's, play it twice. There's a lot going on. Let's play it once through and then we'll play it again and comment. How about that? Yeah. All right. All right we're going to play it right through here. Terry Foster here from 97.1 The Ticket, and we have a new venture here. I am writing blogs for CBS Radio forward slash LaFontaine. The other day I noticed something about the Pistons. They were getting beaten up pretty bad by the Milwaukee Bucks, but they rallied, won a game with Andre Drummond with a big tip near the end of the game. Now, I do not believe in momentum between games, but I do believe in signature moments that can kind of carry a team to the playoffs. Perhaps this was the move. Remember 1997 when Darren McCarty beat up uh, Claude Lemieux? That was a signature moment. And the Detroit Lions, 
oh, wait a minute, we're still waiting on that one. But these are the type of stories that I want to bring to you, and I think this could be a big move for the Pistons. Now, recently I was in Las Vegas, and I want to tell you a story that shows the seedy side of Vegas. We see the glamour and the strip and all the wonderful things that Vegas can carry, but the other day... I wanted pancakes, and they were billed as the world's best pancakes. So I went to the restaurant and ate the pancakes. I'm not going to say they were the best in the world, but they were pretty good. I couldn't eat them all. And before I got to the restaurant, I noticed there were some homeless people kind of scrimmaging through some of the uh, barrels around there. So I decided to give someone the world's best pancakes. I saw a woman with dirt caked all over her face, and she was digging in the garbage. And I was about to hand her the world's best pancakes when she looked at me and called me all kinds of four-letter words. I decided she's not going to get the world's best pancakes. A few moments later, I saw a guy going through the garbage, just like the lady with dirt caked all over him. I said, sir, would you like the world's greatest pancakes? He said, yes, sir, I would. Before I took 10 steps away from him, he had already devoured the pancakes. It is stories like these that I hope to bring to you at CBS Radio forward slash LaFontaine. Terry Foster from 97 won the ticket. Read Terry Foster's blog. Okay. Oh, where do we start? Where do you start? Scrimmaging. Scrimmaging through. They were they were they were having a four on four practice <laughs> through the garbage. They were they were pra- they were going through the dumpster, practicing scrimmaging. Did any scrounging is maybe what he was know, going for? Maybe I scrounging. Think, I think scrounging. Scrimmaging. scrimmaging. They were through. scrimmaging through the dumpster. <laughs> the weird. They were running the drills. The they were running drills, waiting for the magnanimous Terry Foster to bring him out the world's greatest pancakes. <laughs> they were doing up downs in the garbage. What? How about reading <laughs> your copy before you go and record it? Did I mean <laughs> scrimmaging? This man does not have an IQ higher than sixty-five. He's dull. There's no. How do you not? How do you not redo the take? That's that's what I want to know. He's as someone said on the DSR, the man's been in the radio business for like three decades, and that's his that's his radio read. Are, are you fucking kidding me? It's stories like these that I want to bring you. Stories like what? It's talking about dirt all over the face of this poor cake, homeless person. Dirt cake, it's caked in dirt. This, he's, he's making fun of this, obviously, the first handicap, uh, handicap excuse me, uh, the first um, a homeless person, thank you, the first homeless person that he, he comes into contact with, basically insinuating that they're somehow, like, mentally disabled or something. Just saying, like, oh, yeah, she went nuts and called me all these names, basically making fun of her for clearly being. Maybe you read it. Maybe she's read his column. <laughs> well, maybe she wasn't homeless. Maybe I, I, she was a Detroiter straggling in from the uh, – D Las Vegas is casino. This, is this going to be? I mean, was he trying to be like ironic at the end when he said, "You know, these are the type of stories"? No. I'm to, was that like no. supposed to be kind of a joke? No. If, if he was trying to be like sarcastic, that would almost no. be funny. No, but. no, 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 no. These are the kind of stories he wants to bring people. And what was the story about the Andre Drummond tip? Like, what was that all about? Even the sports take was just completely bizarre. Comparing, comparing, comparing Andre Drummond tipping in a ball. To beat a horrible Milwaukee Bucks team at the last second, to Darren McCarty uh, fighting Claude Lemieux. I don't know what you see in this guy. Uh, <laughs> Osgood, excuse me, oh, Vernon fighting Wah, the Wings winning an overtime game, propelling them to a Stanley Cup. He's comparing an Andre Drummond tipping to beat a horrible Bucks team with nothing to play for. I, this guy never ceases 
to amaze us. I've never heard someone talk about pancakes for so damn long in my life. And all I could picture was Cleveland from uh, Family Guy in my head because that's what his voice sounds like to me. So, <laughs> oh my lord, terrible. he would he would say that's he'd racist call you a racist right now. Yeah. Why? That's exactly tell- how his I, voice I, sounds. I'm not how is that racist? I'm not calling you a racist. I'm saying Terry Foster would be calling it. If you, like, he should take it as a compliment that he could get another job doing voiceover for Cleveland. Right. Don't tell him that. He's don't gonna, tell him. Don't, <laughs> oh Jesus Christ, Jessica! Don't, don't put the oh, idea. Oh Jesus in his head. Christ! You've really done it now. No. What do they do? No, he's going to be probably calling his agent, Mort Meisner, asking him for radio. Vo- excuse me for cartoon voiceover work. That's what he sounds like. It's Cleveland to me. And no, it's not racist. I. We're not calling you racist. Uh, have you got a hold of Bob? Or Dave? No, they're literally both ignoring me. Do you think Matt Dairy would stick up for, just... for Jessica if she took a picture with him? <laughs> if she in, in, a, in, a, in a tilted killed outfit. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, we could just get a tilted killed outfit <laughs> Maybe. or a Hooters costume. Yeah, then he would stick up for her, probably. <laughs> that's that's your friend, Matt Dairy. I didn't see me DMing him all day. So if we do, if you're only contractually obligated to two, two more shows. Does that mean next Tuesday's program and if we do an opening day show live from a bar, those are the last two? So you really only might have only, only one Tuesday show left? No, I have two Tuesday shows left, so it might oh. be three total. I've, I've never seen this contract. Yeah. Who'd you sign it with? It wasn't you? No, it wasn't me. Oh, Melissa Mist? Yeah, Melissa, that's right. Yeah. I think actually Chili before he passed was the one that negotiated it. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we're not going to get Bob and Dave on to yell at them. Can we just call them? No, I'm not going to just Why call not? Just Bob call and Dave. Them. I don't even know who, what you're talking you about. Because they employ Dave. me. So who cares? Just oh, that, blame it on oh, me. Like the, the podcast blame it on me. I'm not, okay. Blame it on me. Just call one are of these them. The people call that, are these the people that don't well, like you? Or is that like, no, they do like them. They're just doing stuff right now. What, could they, they why, why do, why, what could they be doing? Uh, I don't know. They both have wives and kids and shit. Yeah, coming from the guy that sat on his ass and did nothing all day and then started the show eight minutes late. Is he going to be judging? I started the show eight minutes late because I was cutting up tape. Well, okay. Why couldn't you cut up the tape at any time before five o'clock? Because I have a job. Okay. You have a job that you come and go. You're you're basically like Bohenic. I mean, you work like an hour a day and then you, you know. Oh, let's talk about Bohenic for a second. Okay. If you want to bring that up and see if we can get Bob and Dave on the phone in the last five minutes. Yeah. So your former BFF, Michael Bohenic, he is known by many names. Heath Blizz guy. Chris botched, giant shake man, giant Master shake man, shake. Uh, racist anti semite. So he, we thought, was off Twitter for a long time. And who found out that he was it Mahir? Who found out that he actually had a Twitter account for the last like seven months? Uh, it was uh, Dinsmore. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Din- Dinsmore got Upchurch. Well, Upchurch tipped off yeah. Dinsmore, who tipped off it. Tipped off us. Yeah. Right. And we found out for like the last seven months under the cloak of darkness with an egg as an avatar. Hi, Bohannon, by the way. I know yeah. you're listening. He had a Twitter account which was angrier and nastier and more racist than anything that preceded it from a man who once went on a website run by Jews and used the word kike. Once? Well, one time I can remember. But this was – he was calling black people animals on this tw- Twitter. Savage, savages, savages, animals. Oh, your boy, wow. your friend. And the, so the story, point of the story is getting to this is, so nobody knew about this until Trevor Upchurch, fine upstanding Michigan State 
student, not like his boy Cucumber, Ryan McCumber. Fake-ass Spartan. Fake Spartan. Um, he found it, told our DSR correspondent Anthony Gasface Dinsmore about it, and then he told us, and you went on, all you did was you followed Bohenick's secret racist vitriolic account just followed it followed didn't retweet it. or what favorite anything within how many seconds did that account disappear from the face it was like, less than an hour I, I, I didn't clock the minute but it was definitely under an hour probably 40 minutes and I, I would imagine it was within seconds of him realizing it but it, you know because he had tweeted something 10 minutes had gone by i followed him and then I, I would imagine the next time he went to go tweet something that was the end of that account i mean i can't imagine he even hesitated the thing that's interesting is his account that he knew we knew about, the one that preceded this one, was already extremely vitriolic and things that would get you terminated from a lot of jobs and certainly nothing that I would want to put out there as a parent and someone who's trying to argue you know, that uh, they're a, a righteous person. But um, this account was so much worse and I thought it was bad enough what he was putting out there already semi-attached to his name. You really – it was kind of peering into the true soul of a person to read this this new account. I mean it was honestly kind of scary, I, I, I thought. I mean it was – I couldn't find a tweet and I made the point um, in our discussion and, and no one disputed it. There wasn't one tweet on there out of hundreds, hundreds and hundreds that was not insanely vitriolic and hateful and um, not all of them were racist but several were racist, bigoted in some form or another – um, the only few exceptions were when he was openly hitting on Taylor Rooks, who's um, I don't know a reporter somewhere. Um, you know, he would openly flirt with a few women on there. Uh, those were the only tweets that weren't vitriolic and hate filled. So uh, that was quite a bombshell. I, I thought it was interesting that the second I followed him, he was he was just done. But uh, it's a shame because I I kind of wanted to see what he would do if I followed him. I thought it was sort of a kind of an ultimate test there and kind of a creepy way to stumble upon that you've been discovered. But um, Bohenick is an interesting guy. I, I don't think he'll be able to stay away. I think he'll be back in some form or another. Yeah, we'll see. And hopefully the DSR investigative team uncovers him if he does. So no Bob and Dave? Just avoiding uh, us? Nope, they're I've Tom, gotten... They're Tom Chia sounding. <laughs> Bob and Dave are not on the radio. No, they're not. Yeah, they're right? not. Absolutely not. So we're going to just... When you listen back to this incredible podcast, Bob and Dave... Please find somewhere for Spiro, who's leaving the show uh, under mysterious circumstances soon, uh, and myself. And can you do opening day? Can you brought? Can you produce it? Oh yeah. Okay. Most definitely. All right. We're gonna try to do a live um, live show somewhere around Comerica Park. You can bring your Drew Sharp props, right? Yep. That'd be a good day to uh, mm-hmm. bring those out. That's that was sort of the idea yeah. all along, and yeah. then he got fired before it occurred, which mm-hmm. was kind of. I wish he'd have hung on for another month. I know. It's like it kind of finally sucks. gets fired. Couldn't you at least get fired, right? All right. So, Bob and Dave, find us somewhere to do the show uh, so all of our fans can come and see us and throw eggs at us and uh, call us names. Stay tuned. Coming up next, as always, is the undercard tonight on the program. Pro Boxing Ring announcer Amy Hayes will be in studio. You might want to stick around for that. Unfortunately, there's no video on that. Well, when's the video going to be here? When are we going to get in the studio? Um, as soon as they decide on a location. Location? Um, I thought they were building it next door. No, it's going to be downstairs. Now we might move buildings. So So we won't be here anymore? Uh, that is undecided. I, I so haven't got Spiro's an not going to be here. 
We won't have a studio anymore that I'm familiar with. Well, yeah, we're not going to move far. The other option is like a mile away. You should oh. just so. like Skype out yourself talking for two hours and have that yeah, be people the, really want to see that. That'll be the new show. All right, stay tuned for the undercard coming up at 7 p.m. Have a good week. I hope I survive uh, the plane flight. And uh, we're here for uh, one of Spiro's last two shows next week. This is a previously recorded episode.